All right. Well, thanks for coming out. And I know it is a, a busy, busy week. Um, I think I'm equally excited about fall break. I know this is the time where whether you're going home or whether you've got plans, it's a nice time of year. So I hope your trip is restful. Um, pray that pray that mine would be too. We're going to apple picking as a family on Friday. Yeah, I'm a dad these days. So when you're a dad, you go apple picking, and it'll be good. We're going to Skytop. If you went to Greystone, uh, you may you maybe went to Skytop with us last year. So I'm excited. It'll be good. All right, here's what we're doing tonight. Um, you know, if you've been with us all semester, we're doing a series called... Um, Magnus, you can just turn that off. Sorry. Yeah. There we go. Let's embrace this awkward moment. There we go. Um, I already lost my train of thought. So, oh, if you've been with this, we're doing a series called Don't Stop Believing, A Guide to the Christian Faith, where we're kind of looking week by week, we're using the Apostles' Creed kind of as a launching pad to talk about things that are essential to what it means to be a Christian and what Christians believe. And tonight we're actually going to get a little bit out of order, because I want to talk tonight about what does it mean to say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. So to do that, I want to look at a passage. If you brought a Bible, turn with me to Zephaniah. This is going to be a little bit of a, you know, it's an obscure one. This is one of the indie books of the Bible. Um, And so Zephaniah 3, we're looking at, uh, Zephaniah, by the way, is before Haggai and after Habakkuk. (laughs) Like that helped you? (laughs) Basically, if you go to Zechariah and work your way backwards, you'll be, uh, you'll be, Haggai and then Zephaniah. And this is actually, uh, some of you know this passage, some of you have never heard this passage at all, and this is actually one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, because it gives us a view of God that is absolutely incredible, and I hope it's going to be rich for you as it's been rich for me. Um, So uh, Zephaniah 3, and I'm going to read verses 14 to 18. Zephaniah 3, 14 to 18. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? For the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And this is the part that slays me. He will rejoice over you with gladness. and He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Let me pray for us again and then we're going to jump in tonight. So let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you this it's a gift to us. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight um, to ponder it in our hearts, to ponder it anew, to, um, that you would richly bless us, especially as we think about the richness that you, of the grace you have shown us in the forgiveness of sins. And Father, I pray that that would become real to us. I pray that would become sweeter to us. I pray that, that you would do a work in our hearts um, to assure us of the forgiveness of that we have because of Jesus and the cross. We pray these things in his name. Amen. 
So when I was a uh, sophomore in high school, I got my very first car. And it was one of those first cars that you're like, yay, I got a car, but you're like, oh, this is still painful because you're thankful on the one hand that you have something to drive, but on the other hand, what you have to drive, you know, is going to be a little bit embarrassing. Like you're not going to park that thing and like walk proudly to school. You're going to kind of park in the back of your parking lot and like walk, you know, do like a different kind of walk of shame to class. And the car, the, my first car, you've never heard of it. Some of you, if you've heard of it, you're like a, a car guy. It was a, a 1980 uh, Ford Courier. No? It was like the smaller version. Imagine a Ford Ranger, like the smaller version of the Ford pickup truck, but even smaller and older. And like I'm talking this thing, it was like my, my grandparents, it was a gift for my grandparents, and it was basically their little garden truck. They used to, to do a little garden with corn and butter beans. They were good southern South Carolina, South Carolina people. And so they gave me the farm truck, uh, and we called it Baby Blue. And uh, Baby Blue was, it was a... Uh, it was an embarrassment, but it was it worked, right? It got me and my sister to school. But I mean, that thing, like, like if I go back and look at it, it's, it's long dead, but like no radio, no air. I mean, when you got inside, like you felt like you were going back in time. It was just, it was not a great car. But, so I get this, this new car, my first car, and uh, it's my first, it's a, it's a truck. And uh, my friend and I decided we've got a little truck so why don't we do what some other people do, which is try to do some off-roading. Um, just picture that for a second, because this is so not me. And you're going to understand why it's not me. So here we go. And there are these woods behind the house he lives in. And we're, we get in baby blue. And we're driving along in, these, in this kind of these wooded, this wooded area, uh, doing some pretty lame off-roading, if you will. And we're driving along. And all of a sudden, we kind of do this thing where we're driving. It's me and my friend Tripp. He's in the passenger seat. We're driving, and all of a sudden we hit this thing, and we hit it, and like we stop moving. I'm like, all right, this is great. We kind of get out of the truck. I say I should say truck because it really. I mean, again, we get out of the truck, small t, and uh, it's this huge, this huge uh, ditch, and basically, baby blue, the front tires were just like spinning in this ditch. Like there was okay, what are we gonna do? Because here we are, we're stuck. So my friend Tripp's like, I live a couple minutes away. I'm going to get my four-wheeler. I've got a winch in my four-wheeler. We're going to try to pull it out. So he gets the four-wheeler, tries to pull it out. Nope, no going. So then we get a friend who has a, big, a bigger, like a real truck, a capital T truck. And who has a real winch, he comes and pulls it and pulls the truck out. And as he pulls the truck out, because you remember I'm thinking, this is my grandfather is giving me this truck. I'm a little nervous because I feel like I've done something really, really bad. And as he's pulling it out, it's this, this sound starts to happen where it's like... Worse than that, okay? Worse than that. And basically what had happened was Baby Blue was in this ditch, and a four, somehow a 4x4 four four had gotten under the frame, and when he pulled it out, it bent the entire frame of the truck outward. So I was like, hey, this is not the kind of thing you just fix. And I can remember going, like, I, that, the next thing I had to do was drive it to my grandfather's house and sort of tell him what happened. And my grandfather, was, he, was a, he, was a, he was a godly man, but that was the worst conversation we ever had. Because like I remember walking inside, and you know the fear when you've done something really wrong, and you've really messed something up, and you just sort of dread that conversation. I mean, it just feels like you know, it just feels like death. And I walk in, and he was a very quiet man. <laughs> Literally, he just like the whole time as I was talking, crying, like he was just quiet and quietly angry, and just sort of said something like, "Well, you know, you ruined the truck. Nothing we can do about it." And so like I left with my tail between my legs with shame. 
I say that to say sometimes I think that's how we think it's going to be when we go and confess our sin to God. That he's going to meet us to shame us. And he's going to meet us to condemn us. And he's going to meet us, basically either, either he's going to like yell at us or he's going to be quietly angry so that we get the point and so that we walk away with our tail between our legs in shame. And the good news that I want to talk about tonight is that's actually not what God is like. A lot of us, that's what we think that he's going to be like. But the Bible says when you go and confess your sin to Jesus, that he actually meets you with grace. And that he actually delights to show grace to sinners. And he actually like loves, like, like is excited about forgiving you of your sin. Such to the point where he knows you and all that you've ever done, and yet he loves you in such a profound way that he actually sings over you with joy. And I love the way Psalm 103 says it, that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He treats us according to his grace. But we're talking about this idea tonight of the forgiveness of sins. And there are four things I want you to see about who God is that I think are crucial. If you're ever going to love him, if you're ever going to want to follow him and know him. There are four things I want you to see that I think are really, really good news to me. I hope they're really, really good news to you. Here are four things that God does. When we think about forgiveness, some of us have too much of a small, truncated view of it. We need a bigger view of it. So I want you to see four things about, about what God does in forgiving us. First, he pursues us in our restlessness. He accepts us in our, sin, our sinfulness, he holds us in our brokenness, and he frees us from our lovelessness. He pursues us in our restlessness, he accepts us in our sinfulness, he holds us in our brokenness, and he frees us from our lovelessness. Let's jump in. First, think with me for a second about how he pursues us in our restlessness. The Bible says about you and me... Uh, there, you knew it, like if you grew up in a Christian home, your parents kind of, they made you memorize scripture probably, and you probably memorized Isaiah when it says that we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way. Like the Bible loves the metaphor, right? If you've grown up around the Bible, you know the Bible loves the metaphor of considering us kind of like sheep who are, who are um, a little bit dumb, a little bit willful, and, and constantly straying from God. Constantly straying from the fold. But what's interesting, what you might not know, which was news to me as I started learning more and more about what sheep in the day were like and what sheep... Because you and I are like, we don't necessarily get what sheep are like. You know, you know what I mean? Like, we've kind of seen sheep in cartoons. We've pro- like, probably none of you grew up on a sheep farm. Maybe some of you did. Raise your hand and I'll let, like, I would love to talk to you about that. Don't raise your hand because that might be embarrassing. But the idea being that, that... But what's interesting about sheep is do you know how they get lost? The way that sheep get lost is pretty fascinating. Is it's not like they, they set out like all right. It's not like sheep sort of saying in their hearts, right? I hate this farmer. I'm going my own way. Like sheep are not smart animals. But what they do is they nibble, and they, they see a patch of grass and they nibble, and they see another patch of grass and they nibble, and they see another patch of grass and they nibble, and they do this this and they nibble their way into being lost. They literally, they nibble their way into being like far, suddenly they look up around them and they're nowhere near the fold and they're nowhere near the shepherd and they're like, help me, I'm a sheep, I can't help myself, right? And the Bible says that's actually what you and I are like, that we're restless. So we nibble our way in porn or we nibble our way in drink or we nibble our way in pot or we nibble our way in lust or we nibble our way in 
whatever it is for you. But there's a restlessness. Some of us are outwardly restless. Like, it's kind of clear, like, we're the person who's come to college and we're like, woo! Like, I can't, you know, you're like, we're going to live it up. Five points. Woo! And, like, outwardly restless. But some of us are inwardly restless. Where you would never know it, we're the quiet, we're the quiet, depressed type. We're more Eeyore, you know, we're more Eeyore than Tigger. But yet there's this, there's this inner constant thinking, constant anxiety, constant inability to rest. And we constantly find ourselves straying, straying, staying, and so we find ourselves far from God. But the good news is that Jesus says about himself that he is the good shepherd. And Jesus literally says that I came to pursue the lost sheep. That I came to pursue the restless. And what's, what's interesting is I think when, when I think about Jesus and when you think about Jesus, I think sometimes we think either that he's going to be the spiteful shepherd or he's going to be the indifferent shepherd. But the Bible says that he's the good shepherd and that he cares enough to pursue you in your restlessness. We, uh, a lot of you know that we have four kids and so what that means is we've read a lot of kids books. And my absolutely favorite kids book that we've read there are a lot of good ones, but uh, there's one that's become my favorite called The Runaway Bunny. And The Runaway Bunny is basically the story of this little, this little bunny. And he says to his mother, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up and I'm running away from you. And so he says, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to uh, become a bird and fly away from you. And the mother says, well, I'm going to become a tree in which you nest. And he says, well, I'm going to become like a fish. I'm going I'm to swim away from you. And the mother says, well, then I'm going to become a fisherman to catch you. And he says, well, I'm going to become... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a cloud and, and fly away. And she, she says, well, I'm going to become a mountain in which you rest. And finally, as it goes and goes and goes, he finally says, well, all shucks, I might as well stay here and be your little bunny. And the idea is, is when I read that book, I think that is the way, that's Jesus. You and I send our hearts that we're, we're going to become like God. We're going we're gonna to become like God and go our own way. And God said, well, then I'm going to become a man, and I'm going to die in your place. And I'm going to do that because I pursue the restless. So he, he pursues the restless. The second thing we see is he accepts us in our sinfulness. So he pursues us in our restlessness. The second thing we see is he, he accepts us in our sinfulness. And this is the radical thing here, is to think about who he's singing over. Do you know the Bible at all? Like, he's not singing over people that have it all together. He's not singing over people who have never screwed up. He's singing over people that have lifted their middle finger to him and said, I'm going my own way. He's singing over people that are messed up and broken and sinful. The most shocking thing about Christianity is that God loves sinners. And a lot of us have a view of God that says he tolerates sinners. He puts up with them. But the radical thing about Christianity is the Bible says he actually loves sinners. And in fact, the only people he loves are sinners. Because you know the Bible very well? The, the, the people that hated Jesus the most were the people who thought they didn't need him. It was the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought, I, have no need, like, I don't need this person in my life. I don't need a Savior. I can save myself. That's why we say over and over in our is you cannot be too bad for Jesus, but you can be too good for him. And the radical thing is that, that God accepts us in our sinfulness. 
He knows you through and through. He knows all of your worst parts. And yet he says, I choose to love you. In fact, I chose to love you from a long time ago. There's a, but that's not always all we feel. Sometimes some of us wrestle with this idea of how could I be, on the one hand, sinful and messed up and broken, admit that, and yet God could love me. How could I? Because some of us have a hard time being honest even with each other about our brokenness, about where we're struggling and what we're struggling with, and yet the truth of the gospel is he sees us in all of our brokenness and comes toward us and pursues us. I have a friend um, who's a RAF campus minister, and I love uh, the story he tells is, He's got a little girl that's our little girl's age. And so there's this one time where she had gotten in this phase, as little girls do, where um, they, little girls love to dress up like princesses. So like our little girls have um, all kinds of different, like, you know, uh, Tinkerbell or Snow White or, you know, all the different. Belle, uh, we could keep going, uh, Little Mermaid, except she wasn't a princess. But you know what I'm saying, princess, the princess wear. And uh, his daughter was in that phase. She was in the princess phase. Yet there was this one night where she had been dressed up all day as a princess, but she had gotten really, really sick. And here she was in her princess dress, and, and she had gotten the stomach bug, and she threw up all over herself. And as her dad, my friend, was, was, um, you know, was taking off her dress and getting her into the bath, she said, Daddy, she said, I don't feel like a princess anymore. I need a bath. I need you to make me shiny clean. And he said his heart broke because that's us. We know, we know we're not clean. And yet the beauty of the gospel is God loves us as we are. He doesn't love the you you're trying to be. He doesn't love the you that you're pretending to be. He loves the real, broken, sinful you. And I'm telling you, if you believe that, you would, you would love him. You would love him so much more. So he pursues us in our restlessness. He accepts us in our sinfulness. The third thing I want you to see is that he holds us in our brokenness. He holds us in our brokenness. I love the image of this, of this passage because that's what it is. It's literally him holding us as people singing songs over us and tenderness. It's an incredibly tender image. Um, Bob Dylan's got a song called Everything is Broken. And it goes like this. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts, broken words never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. And Dylan, in a way, really captures the world and what it feels like to live in this world in a fallen world, that literally everything is broken. Your family relationships are broken. A lot of you come from, like me, you come from a broken home. Uh, you, you know the brokenness of friendship. I mean, the, one of the weirdest things about college is just how, from year to year, like, just things get so weird. Like, you're friends with this group of people freshman year, and then things, like, totally fall apart. Sometimes that's your fault. Sometimes it's not. And then you find new friends. College is so, there's never a time in your life where you, like, you run through so many friendships as you do in college. But it's just, a, it's just a testimony that you're broken and your friends are broken. Listen, if you don't get anything else from the night, uh, maybe you should get this, that, that, that you, who, like everyone in here is broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We need Jesus. Like that's what this whole thing is about. Is that, that you and I can't fix ourselves. We're, we're broken beyond fixing ourselves. And we need Jesus to come 
and to make us new. And I think, again, the image, back to this idea of sometimes how we sinfully view God and our pride or in our fear and how God actually is, here's a, here's a great thing. The last time you broke something in front of your parents. Because some of us had parents that you broke a lamp and they did that classic thing like sometimes I do as a broken father where I just look over it and you can feel like the anger welling up in me and I just yell. Some of you can't picture that. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. Because um, it would get awkward. But that happens. And sometimes I think we, we think about God sort of standing over the brokenness and like sort of cussing, you know, like frustrated. But the Bible says the image he gives us here is he actually holds us in our brokenness. He doesn't stand over our brokenness, our brokenness and yell or be quietly angry. He holds us in our brokenness and sings. Do you remember the scene in Narnia? This is for my nerds, yes. Do you remember the scene in Narnia? When they go to that world and Aslan begins singing a world into existence, Polly and Diggory, and he's singing and things begin to appear. Part of what I love about God here is he really does sing over us. And part of that singing is he's making all things new. That he's singing, because, he's singing as he's fixing you. He's singing as he's making you new. And he's, he's singing over us in love because he, lo- he loves to do it. He loves to hold broken sinners in his arms and begin to make them new. Um, there's a scene in, in one of my favorite movies, uh, Babe. Um, uh, yeah, let's just embrace that, that Babe's one of my favorite movies. Um, deal, deal with it. Um, and so, Farmer Hoggett, you know the scene where Babe, you know the story of Babe, okay? Babe is, you know, Babe has uh, just found out that he thinks that Farmer Hoggett is going to you know, make him bacon, basically. And uh, so he runs away. And then finally he comes back, kind of tail between his legs, and sick, and hasn't eaten in days. And remember that weird, weird scene where Farmer Hoggett's, like, nursing him back to health, and he's got the bottle, and he's, like, nursing Babe, and he's, like, talking. And remember that scene where he begins, like, singing over Babe? And, like, are all the farm animals... You should totally YouTube this, by the way, because it's worth, it's worth it. Uh, all the farm animals crawl, you know, crowd around the window... And they're looking in because they can't believe what's happening inside. That a, that a farmer, a very quiet Irish, I think, Scottish, whatever, people who don't process emotions well, farmer is like singing. And then not only is he not singing, but he's, he begins to dance. And when I see that scene, like I start crying because I think that is a picture of this. That why would a farmer rejoice over a pig? Why would a God rejoice over sinners? But he does. Because he delights to show forgiveness. He delights to hold the broken and to begin to make us new. That's the last thing I want you to see. Pursues us in our restlessness, yes. Accepts us in our sinfulness, yes. Holds us in our brokenness, yes. And he frees us from our lovelessness. He frees us. Uh, Mumford just had a new album, whatever you think about it. But I do like one of the songs in the old album, Sign No More, when it says, love that, love that does not dismay or enslave you, but sets you free. 
That's what the love of God does. Is it doesn't, it begins, here's what it does. When God, why is he singing over his people? It's not just to show them that he loves them. It is that, absolutely. That's why, like, you will never hear me sing. My kids get to hear me sing. I will probably never sing you to sleep. Let's just, let's just embrace that for a second. Like, I probably will never come to your dorm room and be like, hold you and sing over you. Right? I mean, because that would just, you know, I mean, it's just not going to happen. But I do that with, my, with Sadie. And it's a picture, it's a tender, tender picture because I love her. But part of what God's doing is he's teaching us to sing. If you, if you know the, the, the theme of song in Scripture, you know one of the things God says about His people is that He's teaching us a new song. And what's interesting, here's what that means, that He's teaching you and I a new song is we begin to do what He does with us. Which is what? We begin to pursue the restless. We begin to accept the sinful. We begin... To hold the broken. When's the last time you held someone that was broken? When's the last time you grabbed a meal with someone who wasn't a Christian? When's the last time you pursued someone who wanted nothing to do with you? That's the new song. The song that God sings over me and you is the song that he calls us to sing over those around us. The song that he, a new song, to begin to sing that. And what's interesting is, is how can you sing that song here at USC? Because it's hard. It is hard. Because everything about college says, this is your time. This is a me time. This is for me to become popular. This is for me to like have everyone in my hall know who I am. And be like, see that guy? He's a big deal. He's like the best at Halo. Whatever it is. College, you know, that's the struggle, right? You want to sing your song. You want to sing your song. You want to make your name great. You want people to love you. But part of what God is doing in singing over you is saying, I want you to sing my song. And I want you to learn to sing my song over the people around you in the way that I sing it over you. I love the way, I'll close with this, I love the way, um, there's a, 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 a um, the wife of a pastor that I read a lot, and uh, she's got this quote that I love. She talks about this, learning on the one hand to have a different view of God, a God that sings over her. And she said this, it's a great line, and this is where a lot of you are, and here's the line. She said this, reflecting on her own experience, she said, for all of my life I had heard the words of the gospel, but I had never heard the music. I had heard the words all of my life, but it never made me cry. And it never made me dance. I'd heard the words, but I didn't hear the music. That's my question for you. It's pretty simple tonight. Is have you heard the music of the gospel? Another way of asking it is, do you understand, do you have a view of God that he doesn't just say I love you, but he sings it. And he sings it over you. Right where you are. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that um, that you would help us to hear the music of the gospel. Lord, you alone can do that in us. You alone can 
make us hear it. You alone can make it sweet to us. I pray that it would become that even tonight. And I pray, oh Lord, that you would, for a lot of us, I pray that you would change the view that we have of you. And Lord, for some of us, I pray that for those of us who've begun to hear your song, I pray that you would help us to know how we can sing it over others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.